Engineering management can be a lonely place. Welcome to Managers Club, where you'll find interviews with top engineering leaders and managers to help and inspire you. Listen to the real-life stories of successful and ambitious engineering leaders who are focused to lead their teams to bigger and better outcomes. This is Managers Club. So today I have with me Rukmini Reddy. Hi, Rukmini. Welcome to Managers Club. Thank you, Vidal. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Rukmini, could you start out, maybe tell us a little bit about your current role, what you do? Absolutely. So I'm currently the VP of Engineering at a hyper-growth startup in the Bay Area. I lead a team of about 45 engineers, and we are a remote-first company. That's great. Rukmini, I was looking through your background. Could you tell us a little bit about your background? I know you've been VP of Engineering at many places, and how did you get into management? Uh, so this is an interesting story. I think I'm not going to say how long ago because it's um, going to make me look like a dinosaur. So it was a very long, long time ago. I was I joined a company to be a software architect slash principal engineer. I was an individual contributor who was coding, and about four months into my new role, my then CTO and VP of engineering came to me and said they so I had a unique knack for people and building relationships and wondered if I would consider transitioning into engineering management. Like most ICs, I was very skeptical about that move because I was afraid I would lose my technical skills and would become stale. But I asked them if I tried it, would I be able to go back to it if I hated it in six months? And they gave me that security and I said I could. So I tried it and I've never looked back. I worked my way through engineering manager to VP of engineering. I have now been a VP of engineering for over four years in three different organizations. That's fantastic. Could you say, what are some of the biggest challenges you face as an engineering leader? I think it's just the state of like hyper-growth startups these days. You face tremendous challenges, and I think this is very common in the Silicon Valley, especially in very dynamic marketplaces, of keeping your team motivated, engaged, uh, driving towards the same success factors, you know, marching towards the same North Star. That's a challenge most of us leaders face. So is there anything in particular you do to try to keep your team motivated and mar- marching towards that North Star? Absolutely. I think uh, clarity is really critical for teams to do their best. So it's my job to set up as much process as I can to make some of these. I'll give you an example. So if there's several initiatives that are in at play at the same time in an organization and you're in a hyper-growth startup, it becomes really difficult to keep up. So one of the things I use is a DAISY framework. So most initiatives have a DAISY framework attached, and I, we've assigned, I assign DRIs, directly responsible individuals, to lead these initiatives. So that uh, makes it very clear to everyone what their roles are, how they're contributing to an initiative, and who the primary responsible individual is. So when I need information, I need to provide support, I know whom to go to. And this is especially important in a remote company. Got it. Yo, the RACI framework is popular. I've heard of it, so I'll put a link to that. Uh, since you mentioned a couple times it's a remote company, could, could you say anything about that, maybe any of the unique challenges in that? I think a lot of people struggle with remote uh, management. Yeah. yeah, it is hard. I think um, it's um, – I've never been in a remote company before. 
I have done distributed teams. So I've had pods of teams in multiple countries in over five countries at the same time. And that has its own set of challenges, but this has been unique as in you and I, if you're remote engineers, we can be working from our home offices, right? And um, some of the challenges I think is just making sure you're communicating very effectively. So what I try and treat our time together in a very, treat it as sacred. So for example, if I meet with you, I'm trying to, I have to condense maybe an interaction where I could have had lunch with you or I was, I get to see you every day into like a 25 minute phone call. And it's hard to like, and it's essential to keep those human stories alive while also getting work done. So some of the things I've done and that I've published recently is a framework for one-on-ones that we can use to make sure remote teams are successful and you can build trust in that environment. Oh, that's great. I'll, I'll look for that and put a link. I think one-on-ones are critical. So that's, that's mm-hmm. awesome you have a framework. Yes. Could you, as you, you've worked in many, multiple organizations as an engineering leader, uh, could you share with us perhaps a lesson you've learned as an engineering leader? Yes. I think the lesson I always keep going back to is relationships transcend companies. We might be sharing the same company today, I know, and working on the same job, but these relationships that you build with humans and their stories matter. I'll give you an example. So last year, as I was leaving my role at Model N, I went to say goodbye to my team that I had in place for eight years in Ukraine. And um, while on the last day prior to me leaving, uh, my team asked me if I would volunteer, uh, you know, having in, having spent some time with uh, youth who are at risk, you know, and motivate them to pick up a career in tech. And I said, that's a wonderful way to close out this journey and it absolutely be my pleasure. So I did that, and while I was talking to most of these students, I realized that they didn't know English, right? And uh, I had a translator to talk to talk to them. And at the end, towards the end of the meeting, one uh, one young girl at the back of the room stood up and said, "So, um, where did you learn to speak English like that so well?" I asked her what her name was, and I said, "She said, oh, my name's Mary." I said, "Hey, Mary, unfortunately for me." I don't have a fun story to tell because um, I learned English in India as my first language. However, I said if I could take permission of this engineer standing in the back, I had one of my principal engineers there, I said he didn't know any English when we met eight years ago and maybe he can walk through that journey on how he's learned to speak English. As I was saying this, she looked at him and they started gigging. And I was confused, I'm like, what's going on? Do you know each other? And she said that was her father. Oh wow! Who was her father? Oh, interesting. And it was so it was so wonderful. And I kept looking back to that moment and thinking. So Pasha, who was one of my absolute favorite people and my early team members, did not know how to speak English fluently when I met him. And I had helped set up English classes for him for the previous eight years. And I had realized I'd come to the realization that day that our relationship mattered so much. It was beyond the time we shared together in that company. And the opportunities I was able to provide him have changed the opportunities he was able to provide his daughter and changed the future. And that was profound. And I think um, that's what keeps me real and excited when I do this work. That's awesome. That's, that's one of the great things about uh, being an engineering leader when you can, like, uh, impact people like that. That's, that's mm-hmm. a great story. Thank you. Um, 
Could you speak a little bit about hiring? Like, what's your approach to hiring a lot of um, a lot of engineering managers? Obviously, you don't have to spend a lot of time on hiring. And since you're also remote, I wonder, if, like, what you do uh, hiring remote people. Yeah. So hiring is a tremendous challenge. Like I said, I think I spend most of my time hiring, like most engineering leaders do. And I think what is really helpful for me is to set clear expectations when I'm hiring. So I tend to do a lot of data-driven hiring without. Uh, I keep, uh, for example, if I publish a role, I will spend a lot of time initially clarifying the job description and what I'm looking for the role with my partners in recruitment. Uh, we make sure we create detailed rubrics and um, have a question bank, and you know we make sure we have like debrief interviews with everyone as they join, especially in a remote environment, setting expectations on what we're looking for. And then we have panels that. Uh, encompass the entire team to make sure we've covered like you know cross-functional leaders we're checking for behavioral uh we're checking behavioral questions technical questions what's unique uh is over the past year we've done uh take-home tests which has been great i i'm anti-whiteboard challenges uh, to be honest i think it puts too much pressure on people and it's it's past its time and what we do is we give a review a take-home challenge and we pay you for that take-home challenge because interviews are a two-way street and your time is valuable. And then we, we interact with you on that pull request just like you would with uh, at work if you joined us, right? And that gives you an insight into what it will be working day-to-day with us. And this has been very, this has been super useful for me. I've actually scaled my team over 32% in the past year remotely. That's great. I think that's nice that you understand, you know, people's time, you know, and you compensate them for the mm-hmm. take-home tests because it can take a lot of time to do one of those things, and not everyone has the time to do them. Absolutely. And, you know, if I look back on my own experience while I was interviewing for this job, like, I had no time to do the interview during the day. So the fact that they were willing to interview me on a weekend was what got me interested, and I took that first phone call. So being flexible around people's schedules, and I think this is how you hire, like, for example, a mom like me, right, who's got a busy day life and got a busy uh, a family life to make time to come to an interview. Do you do these take-home programming uh, tests for managers, too, or just individual contributors? Uh, just individual contributors. Okay. What would be your advice for managers who are just starting out? I would say practice giving and receiving hard feedback. And um, could you say a little more? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. You could, no could you say a little more about that? Yeah. Feedback is hard uh, because many of us, I think, are taught that we are taught to think that performance is binary, right? Either you're good or you're bad, and that's not true. Actually, performance is not binary. And even the best engineering managers I know, even I make a lot of mistakes. And uh, how we receive feedback in positions of power is just as important, if not more, to how we offer feedback to our team. And feedback is hard and it's messy and it's hard to be patient with ourselves and not feel shame, right? And accept the other person's viewpoint when you want, all you want to do is you want to fight and you want to, you want to run away and hide. And I think this is really crucial to building strong teams. Uh, only when we all feel safe enough to practice, I feel we can grow and thrive together. 
Sorry about that. There was some noise there. Um, so you manage a large team. You said 45-plus people. Um, could you tell me a, a little bit, what's your workday like? How do you manage your time, emails, calendar, et cetera? <laughs> That's a great question. So um, I actually am I'm hyper-organized. I would say organization is my superpower and my strength. So what I do is I, for example, have my calendar booked out at least six weeks in advance. I have um, color-coded my calendar, Vidal. So I have different color codes for uh, one-on-ones, different color codes for my direct reports, for my cross-functional peers, uh, for recruitment activities, for interviews, uh, for outside activities, for board meetings. Everything is color-coded. And on Sunday evenings, I tend to log in and I look at my week to mentally prepare myself of the upcoming week. So is it going to be a recruitment-driven week? Is it going to be a people-focused week? Is it going to be an off-site week with the exec leadership team? So I can kind of get into that headspace to be prepared for my week. I'm also an in zero inbox weirdo. So I set the first 30 minutes of my day just to make sure I scan through, responded to all my emails, make sure I have no under messages in Slack before I begin my day. I... Um, the third thing I do is I block my time for my family. So I treat my family time as an appointment on my calendar that is sacred and cannot be rescheduled. So I block a couple hours in the morning saying block for family time, and I do the same thing in the evening. And I will not use my phone, take meetings, or participate in any work-related activities during that time. That's great. That's, that's a lot of really good um, structure you have around that. I, I can tell you're very organized. Um, speaking of, uh, about organization and habits, uh, what would be maybe a personal habit that contributes to your success? I never give up being persistent. Do you have an, an example or a story about that? Yeah, perhaps? yeah, I can, I can absolutely. Like, so for example, most uh, engineering leaders would tell, would tell the engineers, come get me if you need me, right? Some of them tend to do office hours and say, hey, I have two hours a week. However, I've noticed if you have this management style of come get me, most people won't come and get you. So what I do instead is, for example, the minute you join my team as an engineer, I have a roster where I highlight people I have meetings scheduled with, and I'll put a one-on-one on your calendar three months from then after you join. And it will be a recurring one-on-one that's every three months after. So I... I don't give up. I don't wait for people to come get me. I go in there and persistent, and I will show up for that meeting. And that's such an example for my team that I'm serious about building trust and maybe, you know, getting to know you and uh, asking you what does support look like from me. That's great. I think that's really great. You proactively schedule those skip-level mm-hmm. meetings. Exactly. Could you share, is there perhaps an Internet resource or tool or some app that you depend on that really helps you in your day-to-day work? I'm a huge fan of Medium. I spend about 15 minutes of my day uh, reading articles on Medium. I love all the publications and the variety, and um, especially around leadership. I think uh, there are several journals that have very good articles to read, and it offers me a different viewpoint and uh, an insight into how others are doing leadership. Medium is a great resource. Yeah, maybe if later you could share with me some of the uh, journals and stuff on Medium that you like, that could include it in the show notes for people. Absolutely, absolutely. So speaking of reading, if you could recommend one book to managers, 
what would it be and why? I would definitely recommend Dare to Lead by Brené Brown. I love Brené Brown. I think uh, she talks about human emotions like shame and courage and vulnerability, some of which I think the Silicon Valley, we've just, we've not actually done it, you know. We've not been vulnerable to each other. It's all about just work and process and wearing this armor when we come to work. And, you know, she talks about how leadership is not about winning or losing, but it's having the courage to show up knowing you cannot control the outcome and how you could build a support system and a squad around you to make sure you're successful. I'll have to check out the book. One more thing about your team. Could you maybe talk about how you approach mentoring, coaching members of your team, maybe their career development? Uh, do you have any kind of process around that or, or thoughts? Absolutely. I always tell everyone I'm mentoring or coaching that you have to be the CEO of your own career. And what that means okay. is you actively, you have to actively manage your own career in writing, whether you're in a startup or a big organization, it's up to you to manage your career path. For example, if you want to join a new role, you should ask clearly where it fits in organizational priorities and where it leads. At every review, you have to check in and you have to make sure you're clearly able to articulate your goals and how you achieve them. Um, you have to set expectations and make sure you're good on your commitments to your team. And, I, and also you need to have the ability to manage your effectiveness. So if it means you have to say no, say no. So you can make sure you are able to spend time on things that matter and the goals that are important to you. Where could people go to learn more about you? I know that you, you do some writing as well, right? Yes, yes, I do write, yes. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or on my Medium account. Sounds good. I'll put some links to that in the notes. Well, Rukmini, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your experience with us. You've been very generous with your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vidal. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.